Hello everybody, welcome to this edition of Coffee Time with Byron. I am your host, Byron. This is number episode number 60. Alongside me via StreamYard on YouTube and all available podcasts the following day. Former NFLer, NFL lineman I might add, tackle Howard Richards who played for one year with the Seattle Seahawks. Five years with the Dallas Cowboys. How are you tonight? Doing fine. Actually, six years with uh, Dallas from '81 to '86. Darn, I knew I was. And, uh, I knew I did something. That's okay. Wrong. Yeah. That's okay. That's, that's all right. You're you're pretty close. You're closer than a lot of people are, uh, especially because it's been so long ago since I played. That's true. Uh, too. Yeah. So six at Dallas and uh, uh, Cowboys first round pick in 1981. Mm-hmm. Uh, finished my career with the Seattle Seahawks in 87, uh, which is my, my last season, and uh, retired after that. So before we get into it, your college career to your draft drafting of the Dow- by the Dallas Cowboys, let's talk about your former teams. I want to first start off with the Cowboys. Uh, it's a two-part question. With Jerry Jones... Being the owner and his sons taking over, him not seeing, him not thinking they need an actual general manager. Can you see them winning a Super Bowl without a real general manager? And two, can you see them going far this year? I think that remains to be seen. Um, there are a lot of teams. That have not won a Super Bowl without a general manager. Uh, the Cowboys have won a few Super Bowls without a general manager. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're and teams that uh, uh, so it, it, it all depends. It, it's great to have someone that can evaluate talent um, that has a lot of experience in evaluating talent, uh, collegiate talent, free agent market, and all that. Um, now, as long as the Joneses have own this team, been affiliated with the Cowboys, one might say that they have uh, gained enough experience uh, in evaluating players and drafting players. Um, so that that all depends on how they finish. Um, how many more years um, you know, will they go before they get back to a Super Bowl and ultimately win a Super Bowl? Mm. There's, no, there's never a guarantee on that. Uh, there's never a guarantee in getting there. Or without a general manager, um, it, it's about uh, obviously building and developing talent, uh, signing the right free agent, free agents, especially uh, in today's NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, above all that, you've got to have some good luck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Guys have to stay healthy. Uh, players have to produce. They have to be in the right fit. Uh, offensively, defensively, whatever you're trying to do to scheme against other teams. Um, so, you know, it, it's probably more, um, I'd say it's probably more, of, it's a little bit of science, but it's probably more of an art uh, than anything. Um, and, and again, it really takes a lot of luck uh, in addition to, you know, skill, talent, evaluation, expertise uh, to get there. And, you know, you might say those teams that have won multiple Super Bowls or, or those that, A, they've 
had a lot of luck, but uh, they also have done it through skill and and um, tremendous evaluation of, of players, development of those players, and and adapting you know their offensive and defensive schemes to the talent that they develop and bring in uh, year in and year out. Now I've got to ask you about this. He's a stud. I I didn't I didn't see any of his games at Penn State, but just watching him, Micah Parsons, that dude is a beast. I didn't think he'd be on this level. <laughs> Did you mean he could be not only rookie of the year, but he's on the road to become defensive rookie of the year as well. I mean, what do you make of that in such a rise that he's had so far? Listen, uh, again, a lot of luck. Obviously, he's a talented player, and, um, you know, I, I didn't see any of his games at, at Penn State either. He may be more of a dominating player at the NFL level than he was at Penn State. Um, it, it, he's, he's a guy that has, I think, adapted well, especially given the fact that they've moved him around. He's played multiple positions, you know, both linebacker and defensive end. Yeah. Uh, and he's had a lot of success really as, a, as an undersized defensive end, but he uses a tremendous um, combination of, of strength, speed, uh, quickness, and he's got some pretty good moves. Um, it, but speed kills, and he's he's got a knack and, and knows how to rush the passer. Um, and he's only a rookie. You know, yeah. Can you imagine right. uh, the after year one, uh, what he... Yeah, what he can do. Yeah, he's capable of doing once he actually. Yeah, um, you know, I, I I look at him. You know, it's hard to make comparisons to guys that have uh, you know been considered among the best at their positions. But you know, I played against a guy uh, who's probably considered the best linebacker to play this game. That been Lawrence Taylor. Right. But lots of similarities uh, between my. Parsons and, and Lawrence Taylor. Um, just the tremendous uh, physical attributes. You know, really good football IQ, has has just a nose for the football, uh, really can affect the quarterback and can change, um, you know, changes the way uh, offenses, offenses have to scheme. You know, they have to scheme for him and make sure that um, they've got to account for this guy uh, no matter where he lines up. Not the easiest thing to do. Uh, if you look at his success, you'll see why. Um, but it, it appears that the Cowboys got a good one. And, um, you know, going forward, if they can continue to build um, on that defense around guys like Michael Parsons, um, Trayvon Diggs, then they've got something going. You know, still need, I think they still need to find some, some big run stoppers up front oh, yeah. on the that. defense. Um, you've still got to, I think you've got to really look hard at, um, replacing some of your aging offensive linemen. Um, Tyron Smith has had a number of injuries over the years and has missed some games even this year and missed a lot of games last year. And, um, you know, Zach Martin's missed games, um, the kid at right tackles missed games. So they've, they've got to be able to get that offensive line back to it was a few years ago. Um, so you've got to be able to a, evaluate draft players that are going to be in your system for a long time, guys that can make an impact right away. Um, you already know what the mold is. So you, you need to go out and find some, some 
some clones that can uh, behave just like the guys that are starting right now. Now you already beat me to it, so I don't have. I'm not going to ask that again because you beat me to it about their O line. Uh, you obviously played tackle and you played O line. For I already know myself since I'm a fan. I see it how difficult it is to play a position like yours. But for those tuning in with the little audience I do have, for those tuning in that's the casual fan, tell them how difficult is it to play your position? It's a position where you've, you've got to be cerebral. You've got to be intelligent. You've got to be able to think and adjust very quickly um, to uh, multiple changes along the defense. Uh, you know, pre-snap, uh, once the ball snapped, you know, teams will disguise looks on the defense. They'll show you something pre-snap and then do something completely different. Then there are teams that play m- multiple defensive fronts. Uh, when I was playing, we played the Washington Redskins, which, of course, the team was known then. The Washington football team now right. was known as the Redskins then. Right. Uh, they would play, we'd have to prepare for as many as 15 different defensive fronts for one game. Um, and it was interesting because if Washington was beating you, they'd sit in their base 4-3 and play that. If you were ahead and they were playing from behind, then they'd do a lot of change-up defenses. Again, you, you could see multiple, and would see multiple defense fronts, uh, as many as 15. That's what you had to prepare for mm. uh, during Washington-Dallas week. Mm. Um, so an offensive lineman, again, you, you've got to be cerebral. You've got to uh, anticipate changes. You've got to be able to adjust very quickly. You've got you to be a great listener. Because uh, you got to hear audibles, you got to hear all that stuff when it's loud inside of a stadium. Um, but you've got to be able to recognize defenses. You've also got to know what the guys next to you are doing. If someone gets hurt um, with a roster of seven or eight offensive linemen deep, you've got to be able to play multiple positions. Right. Um, and, and so that's that's where you know the teams that um, are, are looking for offensive linemen, they're looking for guys that a that have, have Got a lot of experience and played a lot, especially in college if you're drafting someone, but guys that can have the flexibility to play um, multiple positions. Now, what would you say, since you played since you played a total of seven years, what would you say is the normal shelf life for a position like yours? Because I know it's a, t- a lot of toll on your body, but what, what would you say is the shelf life? Yeah, I haven't studied it uh, lately, Byron. But if you just look at the overall NFL uh, average career, it was, it's about three, three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say it's probably about that, maybe a little bit less uh, for, for an average offensive lineman. Plus, guys are, are probably shortening their careers deliberately now with the fear of um, concussions mm-hmm. when I was playing in the 80s. You know, no one thought of the or knew of the dangers of concussions. At least uh, players, didn't know it. you know, a lot of the teams we suspect as, as as a players' association, we suspect the teams. Well, we knew that the the teams and doctors knew more about concussions than the than were being revealed to us. Right. Um, henceforth, all the changes. You know, the the, the movie concussion and all the the concussion settlement. And all the things that have happened subsequent to um, those revelations. 
Um, so I'd say, you know, that average career is probably about the same, if not less than three and a half years. Uh, obviously, there are those that play much, much longer. It takes a lot of luck to uh, to get through an NFL career. Now, I will say this. NFL players and even players at the collegiate level, because of, you know, the attention that's been paid on, on injuries and concussions, mm-hmm. uh, the practice regimens, the training camp regimens are far, far more easy than they were when I played. They don't even do two-a-days in the sport anymore. We did two-a-days and practice in pads, uh, practice, practice in full pads two to three days a week, even during uh, a, a regular season. Um, right now, you can only have X amount of uh, padded practices throughout your training camp and, and throughout the season. Right. Guys rarely suit up in full pads today. Right. Uh, so those types of things, um, and you don't go full speed, those types of things can prolong a career. Uh, but again, I think some guys are opting to uh, to play fewer years. A, the money is is far greater than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what I made in seven years, these guys are making in one year. Right. Um, so accumulating a lot of cash and, and being able to um, sock it away, of course, and, and save um, in four to five years or, you know, a 10-year career, you're going to make money doing that playing that sport than you can do probably in any other field that you could ever imagine. So unless of course you, you know, you, you become a high powered lawyer or physician or, you know, nurse, neuroscientist or something like that. Some, right. some extreme field, if you will. Right. Um, so, um, that, that's, I, I think it, it'd be interesting to see what the actual figures are, what, what the studies actually say. I just have not, um, up on what that number actually is, especially for uh, an offensive line. Right. So you're one. I'm. I'm going to say this. I know there's more than this since there's a gob of you guys. So I'm just going to bring out a number. One out of every ten get to play for whether from get to play college ball whether from in Missouri. You got to do it by playing in Missouri. What was that like in playing for basically where you grew up? What was that like? Uh, I played for a pretty good high school team in my four years. We we either finished uh, probably first or second in our conference. My sophomore year, we won the, the city title. We were undefeated. Um, only our defense only gave up 22 points uh, the whole year, the whole season. Mm-hmm. Uh, we averaged 28 on offense. Um I think we had seven or eight shutouts mm-hmm. uh, that season, and so that carried us out, uh, you know, throughout the rest of my high school career. And um, we had three guys that went on to uh, get Division One scholarships. Two, two of us went to the University of Missouri. One guy went to the University of Arkansas and played. Mm-hmm. Um, of those three, I, I I'm the one who's had the good fortune to go. I finish my collegiate career and then move on to the NFL. So of all the guys that, uh, that I'm aware of, uh, there, there may have been only one or two other guys behind me that actually played, you know, for at least a year or so uh, in the National Football League. So that was, that was a big deal um, to be able to 
come from uh, the city of St. Louis is where I'm born and raised and then go on and play for the flagship institution, the University of Missouri. Um, So I started uh, as a four-year starter, starting the last four games of my freshman year. I played a lot, but uh, it wasn't until the last four games that I started. And then I, I started the next three seasons, never missed a game in college, uh, started every game, 40 straight. It was only during an 11-game season, plus uh, a bowl game each year. Um, was a co-captain. Uh, Missouri at the time played in the Big Eight, which at the time was uh, the best football conference in America, better than the SEC. So mm-hmm. the Big Eight then was what the SEC is. God, still. how times have changed, huh? Since good old, <laughs> yes. old Nicky Nicky boy took over Nick Saban. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's been a game changer. He's been a game changer, certainly at Alabama and and uh, just throughout college football. He's the he's the gold standard. Mm-hmm. Um, but listen, it, he he deserves it. He works extremely hard. Has a tremendous knowledge of the game. Has done a, a fantastic job of not only assembling staffs, but he is able to. Uh, pick and choose additional uh, assistant coaches when other assistants leave. Right. 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 So you know, the guys that are coaching uh, at the D one level that have that have. Uh, I mean, if, if the list is, is a long list. You know, from from Kirby Smart at Georgia to uh, Jimbo Fisher at Texas A and M. Mel Tucker at Michigan State. Right. Yep. Um, Mario Cristobal, who's now at the University of Miami, and but yet, don't Lane you, Kiffin. Don't you find it funny though that I heard this stat yesterday on ESPN after Bill Belichick won against the Patriots? It's funny. None of his disciples. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What do you mean? You said Bill Belichick won against the Patriots. Sorry, one against He's the coach Bills. of the Patriots. Sorry, one against the Bills. My bad. Okay. The Bills. I was getting Last into, yeah, I was getting into a stat. Uh, but yeah, I heard this that now that we're talking about Saban, it's funny how none of his disciples that you've mentioned that has coached along Kiffin has beat has not beaten uh, Saban at all. But most of exactly one has, one has yes, except happened uh, happened this season. Jim Bullfish, right? But when it comes to Belichick's disciples, he can't seem to beat them. <laughs> Tell, that's a tell of two tells, isn't it? Like, Saban and Belichick are from the same coaching tree, pretty much. Well, not necessarily the same coaching tree. I mean, they coached together at Cleveland. You know, I think the Browns feel about letting both Saban and Belichick go. I know, go. right? These guys are on the same staff. Yeah, they got. So it, you know, the, the yeah. lesson the lesson there the lesson there is coaches need time. Yeah, exactly. Coaches need time. Yeah. Um, again, it takes and, and fans are impatient. I understand it. I understand why you pay a lot of money to go and, and watch your teams play, but you've really got to understand what it takes to build a, a, a winning team. You've got to have a winning culture. And it's it's hard when you're moving pieces in and out with yeah. both. You know, now in college you've got a transfer portal. Um, the NFL, you've got free agency. When I played free agency, you know, didn't really exist right until later. 
So when you're with a team, you expect to be with that team your entire career. Right. Now guys are they're playing and they're they're playing for contracts, not necessarily right. for franchises. They're looking for that that next big contract. Um, obviously, if you're with a winning team, you you hope to stay there. But you know, it, it really boils down to money. So it makes it harder to um, consistently win. But those teams that manage to do so, it just it speaks to. Uh, the people that they have leading the way. You had a who's who guys on your on your teams in the eighties. Uh, did did that want to make you stay with the team, or did you want to go someplace? Did you want to go someplace else? Did you just want to stay your? No, I, there? I wanted to. I wanted to play my entire career in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Uh, what <laughs> that was a storied franchise at the time. Uh, the Cowboys had won. Had been to I think five Super Bowls, won two. Mm-hmm. Um, that was long before Bill Belichick, who was at that time coaching uh, as an analyst and then linebackers for the New York Giants. Mm-hmm. Um, that was long before he's won, I guess, seven now. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to play my entire career for for the Cowboys organization, one of the the best in football for the great Tom Landry. Uh, I played with um, right now three. Pro Football Hall of Famers and Tony Dorsett, yep. uh, Randy White, who I've played against pretty much every day in practice, and uh, and Drew Pearson on, yeah. on offense, who was inducted just this year. Uh, and there will be a few others down the road. Um, guys like Tutal Jones, uh, you know, Harvey Martin, who's who's passed on, yeah. but maybe... You guys have star teams. Yeah, yeah. So, listen, it, it, was, it was a great time to be playing for that team. Unfortunately, we played in two consecutive NFC Championship games and, and lost them both. Um, should have won, certainly should have won the first one uh, in the 81-82 season. Uh, that's the, the game that's known as the catch with uh, Montana yep. to Clark. Yep. Um, yep. I remember that one. Even over, though I wasn't born. Dwight, yeah, Dwight. Dwight. Yep. <laughs> Even though I wasn't born, Dwight, Dwight I saw Clark. highlights. Yep. Well, you see it every it's every yeah. year. It's 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 part of football right. history. History that yeah. catch, you know, yeah. because it was the start of the 49ers dynasty. That's right. Yeah, you know, they won. Yeah, they won. Uh, you know, four Super Bowls in the eighties. Yeah, uh, one of my teammates in college, Eric Wright, uh, played on four of those Super Bowl teams. And that first one, the one that they beat us uh, to go to the the Super Bowl, and they beat the the Cincinnati Bengals. That was, should have been mine. I should have one ring. <laughs> yeah, you should, honestly, yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it's like I said, Byron, you got to have luck. a lot of luck. You got to have luck, yeah. We won, we won a lot of games. You know, we played in, in playoffs four of the six years I was there. That's most, a lot of players never even make it to playoff games. You know, look at, um, I'm trying to think of um, uh, a guy like Dan Marino. How many playoff yeah. games did he win? He never won any. Yeah, I don't think he even right. went. Yeah. I don't think he even went. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So no, uh, no, he did go. They played in '83, and a lot of people say he. Um, and a lot of people say he's he's the all, not all time, but he's like up there with the greats. He's he's a he's a top five, top ten quarterback yeah. just on his statistics alone. Yeah. So it sucks. He but there are guys. There are other guys that played. Yeah. You know uh, their entire career and never, never. Um, Never make it. I mean, Jackie Smith, who was an all you know all pro, Pro Bowl, Hall of Fame tight end with the old St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, 
never made it <clears throat> to a Super Bowl while he's with the Cardinals. He yeah. retired and then gets a call from the Cowboys to come in and join them, mm-hmm. makes it to the Super Bowl. And, you know, unfortunately for Jackie, in spite of all the wonderful things he did in his career, all the great plays he made, he's unfortunately known or infamous for dropping a touchdown pass for the Cowboys in the yeah. end zone yeah. that ultimately would have beaten the Steelers and would have given yeah. the Cowboys one more yep. uh, world championship. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, and I still see Jackie uh, regularly. Uh, he lives here in St. Louis also. Uh, just a tremendous guy. And guy, I mean, you see him, he's 81 years old. He looks like he can still play. Uh, taking taking very good care of himself. And, uh, You'll have to hook me uh, up with just, him. Just, just I'd like her. to talk to him, chat it up. <laughs> see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's talk about... Don't bring up that play, though. Don't bring up that I play, won't. though. I won't. I won't. Uh, Let's talk about the 85 season. Obviously, that's when the Bears won it all. Were you guys competing at all against them for the playoffs that year? Because I know the Bears, they had a star-studded team too that year, and they weren't projected <laughs> to do nothing that year with Dick uh, at the helm uh, as the yeah. coach. So, well, that's, that's true. And, you know, of course, Mike Ditka came to the Bears from the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, yep. In fact, my rookie season – which was Mike's last year in Dallas, before teams hired special teams coaches, the assistant coaches would all coach one or two different special teams. Yeah. Uh, Dick uh, happened to coach two of the special teams that I was on, the punt coverage team and kickoff return. Mm -hmm. So I got to know Mike very well. Um, And, of course, you know, it was a a big loss when we we, uh, lost him to the Bears. But, you know, he had a... Didn't do too badly as a, as a Bears head coach. Obviously led them to the uh, uh, Super Bowl in the, the 1986, the 85 season. But it's funny. The Bears, when we played them, I think we played them in the preseason, beat them in the preseason. Mm-hmm. And as the Cowboys always had a mystique. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of teams seem to, you know, mentally were already beaten when they stepped on the field. And I think at the time that game kicked off in 85 against the Bears, um, I think the mystique was still there. The unfortunate thing about that game is that we, on three successive, excuse me, three consecutive offensive series, we turned the ball over to them. And it wasn't until then they realized that with the defense that they were playing, they could just start teeing off. We were going to be throwing the ball the rest of the day. It wasn't until that point that, you know, we, we gifted them that win. Then they thought, okay, we've got them on the ropes. And they just came after us with that, that, that aggressive 46 defense that they ran. Mm-hmm. And I think <clears throat> beating us 44 nothing uh, at Texas Stadium in our own backyard really – I, I think that kind of set the tone for the rest of the Bears that year uh, and getting them to the Super Bowl. Figure the thing. If they could beat the mighty Cowboys, um, you know, the team that did cut his teeth on as a as a assistant coach and a team that he played for, uh, if he could beat that team, he could probably beat anybody. And was it because was it because why you guy he blew you guys out? Was it because also you you, you thought 
too. He knew you guys so well. I mean, that's why he probably beat you guys that bad because he knew you that, guys. You know, that, well, that, yeah, there was the familiarity. Of course, he knew, you know, some, the personnel very well. Yeah. Um, but again, they had excellent personnel on defense. And when you spot a team 17 points in the first quarter um, and you become one-dimensional offensively, uh, it's, it's a tremendous advantage that they had on defense. Um, and we just didn't get it done. I mean, we, we, we were unproductive. I don't even know. I've never even looked at the statistics for that game. But I can tell you, I know we turned the ball over at least three times. And I don't know how many sacks. I bet there are five or six sacks that we gave up. You know, probably – um, uh, History-wise, uh, probably at that time was probably uh, among the, the most sacks we'd ever given up. Um, but yeah, I, I think that game probably was the the benchmark for the Bears. That hey, they if, if they could beat Tom Landry and this team, they could probably beat anyone. And sure enough, you know, I don't even know how many games they lost in the regular season. Maybe one or two. I don't know, but. Uh, um, they made it all the way, and, and you know that team is one of the best all time. Got a, a team full of characters led by Jim McMahon and um, <laughs> William Refrigerator Perry, of course, yep. Mike Ditka, and, yep. and uh, Dan Hampton on defense, and Richard Dent, Steve McMichael, Otis Wilson, Wilbur Marshall, Ron Rivera. Yep. Um, yep. I mean, they they had man. They, I, I don't know that you ever have a more stacked or talented. Uh, defensive personnel group. So, uh, Jeff Fisher, who was the, the coach of the Rams and the Titans, was on that team also. In fact, he was drafted the same I year that he I was drafted. even on that team. I forgot he was on that Yeah, it, it, uh, yeah, it kind of, kind of wish I'd gotten into coaching. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, I probably could have made a whole lot more money coaching. Uh, yeah, you would have. <laughs> you know, then, then, then I've, you know, I would still be working today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, now, last night, I'm sure, I don't know if you saw the game, but it was 30, 30-something degrees. I saw the second half, yeah, yeah. the snow flurries, felt like it was 23. The wind. Yeah, the wind, 50 the wind miles per hour. was like 50, 55 so, yeah. miles per hour. It was crazy. Two-part question. Did you, did you in your playing career, I know you were offensive line and it's different, but I know you played in that kind of weather when you were there, when you were... In your, because you were you played in Green Bay and all those cities that northern weather. How dif, how difficult is it to play in conditions like that? What was that like for you as a player? Full disclosure, <clears throat> I never played a game in Green Bay. Uh, That's never shocking. Played, That's shocking. Never played a game in Buffalo. Every time we played Green Bay, when I was on the team, we played them in Dallas. Every time we played Buffalo, we played them in Dallas. That's shocking, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think the worst weather conditions we ever had that I recall would have been uh, playing in New York you know, towards the end of the season when, you know, cold and windy, but not that windy mm-hmm. up in the Meadowlands. Uh, I think we played a cold game in Cincinnati, got got beat once, uh, got beat up there. Um, but I don't, I don't recall any other games um, – that we played where the, the conditions were that extreme. Now, ironically, um, the day that we played that, well, the weekend, the weekend of the 81-82 championship games, 
we had um, <clears throat> we played in San Francisco. I think the temperature was like yeah, seventy degrees, sixty, mm-hmm. seventy, the high sixties, low seventies. Mm-hmm. We played on Sunday. The AFC Championship game was on Saturday. I think it was maybe ten degrees. The Chargers and, and the Bengals played in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. and the Bengals won that game. I mean, that you know, it, it, fortunately we were playing in those conditions, but uh, yeah. it had to be tough for the Chargers yeah. that day. So that was pretty extreme. Uh, I was able to, to dodge those, you know, really really extreme cold conditions um, throughout my career. So that's a win. But I, I think I've only worn thermal underwear twice in my football career. Once in college, played Nebraska in 1978 and uh, 1981, playing in the Meadowlands, the last regular season game uh, against the Giants. Um, it was the only other time that it was cold enough to wear long johns or thermal underwear. But if you did have to play in those conditions, how would you handle it as a player, though? Like, that's got to be tough in those kind of conditions. Well, as a lineman, you don't you don't really notice it. You know, if you're moving, if you're on the field playing a lot, um, you, you that motion, that body. Most guys are wearing gloves anyway. I mean, if mm-hmm. they're smart, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> you don't really notice it. It's, like, it's if you're standing on the sidelines for extended periods of the whole game not playing that's what's cold uh, <clears throat> so you've got you know you get the long the big capes or ponchos and then you also have you know the heaters on the sidelines uh that are you know technology these things have evolved over the years so it's a lot better but still there's nothing like you know being in motion and playing on the field when it's really cold like that um but listen, in the win, you saw, I think, pregame, some, someone tried to kick a field goal, and you could actually see the ball. You could see it Just move. about. Yeah. It just got hung up, almost like the wind caught it and dropped it straight even, down. Even when the Bills went for that 33-yarder to, to put, yeah. come, put it down to one point, it sailed. It sailed on him. Yeah. Or it, it would have been good. good. Yeah, the wind, the wind was the wind was brutal. Um, so now you can understand why <clears> – <throat> Teams have to be able to run the football. If you can run the ball with success, you know, you, you can win a game. And, and that's what New England was able to do last night, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. Mac three Jones passes. threw three yeah. footballs. Three footballs, yeah. Three. He and completed he two, two three. or three. Yeah, 19 That's yards. the lowest. Since that's got to be the lowest number. Since 78, since 78. said. Yeah, yeah, since 78. I mean, that's, that's nuts. And they still won. <laughs> yeah, that's like a high school. Yeah, you weren't even drafted yet. You weren't even drafted yet. What's that? When you when the last time that happened, you weren't even drafted yet. Oh, so, yeah, no, no. So I was in college. Yeah, yeah. sure was. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a statistic. You know, it's forty six years ago or something like that. It's yeah. crazy. You know, a long time ago. No one would have ever even remembered that. But that's why these these. These statisticians do a tremendous job of, of doing research on the spot, and, you know, in the in the NFL offices, you know, just just finding these crazy statistics that no one would ever even think of until it happens, yeah, like that. So, so you obviously co- you obviously were coached by Landry. Not many coaches of nowadays are like Landry. So, how tough was it to play for a guy like Landry? 
Landry was a um, he, he was a I'm trying to think of a, a, the best descriptor. Um, old school comes comes to mind, but he, he was a very stoic, and there was a clear separation between coach and player. Mm-hmm. You would never see Coach Landry giving player high fives or slapping them on the butts or chest bumping or anything like that. You wouldn't dare dump Gatorade on any of his suits in his fedora. Just right. You may not be there the next day. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, you might be. But he, he was. He was uh, he was he was he was a legend. I mean, he was he was a a a, a monumental figure in the sport back mm-hmm. then. Um, very tough, very serious. Uh, I mean, he did have a, a funny side to him, and uh, um, in fact, if you ever look at, he did a commercial during the 1982 strike uh, for American Express. Mm-hmm. When he's dressed up as a cowboy, he's got on a big cowboy hat and a long duster, and he's talking about, you know, something, whatever American Express in the script. And then the, the, the tagline is something like, because you never know when you're going to be surrounded by Redskins or something like that. And then a bunch of Redskins players. You're going to look that up on YouTube. I will. Because you probably haven't seen it, but it's a classic commercial. I'll, I'll and it's just that the... It showed the human side of him um, during that time where, um, hey, there was no football. You're right. Uh, yeah. There was a, there was an NFL strike, a nine week strike. Um, but outside, when he's on the football field in the meeting rooms, I mean, completely serious. I mean, he he had he he took the game seriously, and he had the same expectations of his players. Um, you had to study. You had to know the system, or you wouldn't play, or you wouldn't be on the team. Um, so most of the guys that came through that system and played multiple years were very capable and, and could have played for virtually any team. Um, but yeah, it was an experience. Looking back, I think the appreciation for playing for him is probably greater now because of what he was able to accomplish. Um, not that you didn't appreciate playing for him then, but uh, when you reflect back, you know he, he's a he's a historic figure in the game and. I'm glad I have the opportunity to to play for for him, have him as my coach, and then to play for an historic franchise like the Dallas Cowboys. So let's see if you know this stat about you. When you were drafted by the Cowboys, you were the third offensive lineman that they've picked in the in the history of their career as an organization. Uh, John Neyland and Robert Shaw being chosen before. Did you know about that stat? Yeah. Mm-hmm. John Nyland and uh, Robert Shaw drafted two years before at the University of Tennessee. Uh, and they didn't take... I don't know if they took another first-round uh, lineman in the first round. They did. Um, not, not for a long time. It was, it was a, yeah, it was a long time. Long I think time. the highest after... Before, probably Tyron Smith... Um, Flozell Adams. Yeah, I would say it was him, a third yeah. round pick. Was, right. was a third round pick. He I was, was the highest him, draft yeah. pick. I don't know if it's. I don't know if it was him, but I would have to say probably was him, Flozell. Yeah, yeah. That that that's crazy, don't you think? You were the only third one before. I mean. Yeah, you know, and it's. Uh, yeah, it goes I, to show how good you were. It's a pretty good. 
<laughs> yeah, and you know, and I will, and, and, and similarly, at from the University of Missouri, the University of Missouri has had only four offensive linemen in the history yeah. of Mizzou football yeah. drafted in the first round. Right. Three, all African American. Not that this is a racial thing, but three of them from all four from the state of Missouri. Mm. Three from St. Louis. One from Kansas City. Uh, one just one just passed away early this year. Russ Washington, the great Russ, Russ Washington, played for the San Diego Chargers. Mm. Uh, Morris Towns was drafted by the Houston Oilers in '77. Uh, then I came along in '81, uh, and then a guy named John Clay in uh, 1987. So um, Towns, myself, John Clay, we all play for public high school mm. in the public high league in St. Louis, which shows you uh, at the time, you know, how, how great the talent was coming out of, um, uh, out of St. Louis. And just for reference, I'll give you three names, three of the b- bigger names that have come out of uh, St. Louis uh, in recent years. Uh, Zika, uh, uh, the kid Kyron Williams, who's at Notre Dame now, mm-hmm. he's from St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamison Williams, who's the number one receiver for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, Hassan, I can't think of the guy's name, the, the Harrison or whatever, from Michigan, the running back from Michigan. Mm-hmm. He's, from, he's a St. Louis kid also, from a, a suburb of St. Louis from Eureka, Missouri. But uh, the talent is here. Uh, there's lots of talent that still comes out of the St. Louis area. Um, the number one receiver uh, who's verbally committed to Missouri, and today is December 7th. Signing day is uh, it's eight days soon. away. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it's coming soon. Luther Bird III is expected to sign with Missouri. He's the number one uh, receiver coming out of college this year. Well, there you go. So the, the, the talent is there. Um we, we just got to, we've, at, as the University of Missouri, we've got to keep the top level talent in the state. And that's what um, current head coach in his second year, Eli Drinkwitz, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to, you know, build that momentum um, and, and seal the borders and keep the best talent at home and attending the University of Missouri. So, since you played most of your career, obviously, in the <laughs> NFC East, which in the 80s, that was an all-out, tough-ass division. It, it was the best. Compared yeah. to what yeah, compared to what it is now, which I think is called the NFC Least, because it is. No offense to the <laughs> players. No offense to those players, but it's not as good as it was in the 80s and 90s. Uh, how hard was it to play against those teams, and what team did you have the most fits playing? Uh, you mean from our division? Yeah. Because it was the toughest division. Yeah, I would say the the teams that gave us the most difficulty would have been Washington and New York. Mm-hmm. Um, Philly would have been, you know, uh, right behind them. Um, but even the Cardinals gave us some trouble at the time. The Cardinals were in the uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, which moved in I think eighty eight to Arizona. We're in the NFC East. Um, but, you know, we, we, we beat them, and we lost to all those teams during my time. Uh, but, you know, the Giants were 
you know, they had some really good defensive teams, uh, Lawrence Taylor, Harry Carson. Um, yeah, um, just just really good teams. And, uh, well, you know, the, the Redskins had Dave Butts and Dexter Manley and Daryl Green. So they've they had some tremendous players also would you uh, say, on defense. Would you say they were your bitter rivals more than uh, Giants was? Yeah, yeah, Cowboys Redskins is, is, is I think, larger. Uh, it goes back to the George Allen, Tom Landry days. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and every year, you know, those those games were circled on the schedule. Um, they were, it, it was the game where everyone got the tight assholes. <laughs> because it was such an important game, if you will. Yeah, um, it was. And, and so days. much attention and so much focus was poured into, you know, by both coaching staffs to, to, to beat um, to beat those teams. It's kind of cool now, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm friends with guys on both, you know, both those teams uh, to talk about the, the rivalry days back in the in the 80s, you know. Um, so it's nice to reflect back uh, on those on those uh, on those days now when you get a chance to see guys that you played against. You know, from uh, every now and then, golf tournaments, other events uh, around the country. So, besides from Lawrence Taylor, which you said was the best in your mind, the best defensive player in the history of the NFL, uh, you were a lineman. Who else did you find challenging to guard? I assume you mean you know, blocking against um, uh, yeah, there are a number of players. Uh, you know, I go up against guys like Reggie White and uh, Ezra Johnson and, and Jack Youngblood from the Rams. And um, I mean, geez, I played against guys like Jack Lambert and Elsie uh, Greenwood, Mean Joe Green um, throughout my career. So Listen, I mean, Lyle Alzado, late Lyle Alzado, Howie uh, uh, Long. It's uh, playing against Leslie O'Neill. Some wonderful players, man. I mean, guys that, uh, guys that, that, and we talked about the guys on the Bears teams, of course. Um, but just some, some tremendous players. Um, and, you know, I think, I, selfishly, I, I think I played in the greatest era. Uh, during the late 70s and 80s. You did. It was, to me, the best era for um, professional football, for the NFL. You did. Uh, that was kind of the, the years that sort of laid the groundwork for today's game. Went through two strikes and, uh, you know, to make the game the way it is today. You know, the benefits that players are, are reaping today is because of the sacrifices that guys like uh, I made and the guys that played before me made also. So they can thank us. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Today's players can thank us for, and the predecessors, the, the great names of, of the game, that the Deacon Joneses, the Bubba Smiths, the Merlin Olsons, the Johnny Unitases, you know, those guys that uh, really laid the groundwork for, and all the wonderful coaches, Don Shula, Tom Landry, Chuck Knoll, Chuck Knox, uh, George Allen, you know, names that are, you know, if there's a Mount Rush for, for football coaches, all those guys would be on there. And last question before I let you go, because I know you got to go. 
Uh, out of all the stadiums you played in, unfortunately, like you said, you didn't get to play in Lambeau or Bill Stadium, so that's two right there crossed off the list. Uh, which stadium did you like to play in? I actually like playing at RFK um, in Washington because it was grass. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think, you know, playing on grass is what prolongs your career. Mm-hmm. Um all the injuries I suffered while playing football, never got hurt in college, never missed a game. I mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, every injury that I had was playing on artificial surfaces, and they were a lot worse then. We had a pretty good field at the old Texas Stadium in Dallas, but or Irving, Texas. But uh, the fields I got hurt on uh, were in St. Louis, my hometown, mm-hmm. which is one of those uh, baseball stadiums also. Uh, yeah, right. And the, the, the surface was just awful. Bush. Yeah. compacted like, like playing on concrete with, with carpet on top and the old uh, Detroit Silverdome where I had my second knee injury which ultimately you know ended my career um, but yeah I, I enjoyed playing at um, you know, uh, the old Jack Murphy uh, stadium where the Chargers played and because it was uh, you know one of the best grass fields I've played on and uh, um, I mentioned uh, RFK in Washington those are some of the favorite places to play Perfect. I couldn't have said And of course, of course, Texas Stadium, our home place, too. Was, there you go. Can't you beat go. The, that home field. That was, a, that was a wonderful place to play. Well, I do appreciate your time. I'm glad we are in touch. I'll stay in touch with you. I'll send you the copy of the episode if you want. Uh, that way you can share it, share to YouTube as well. Uh, but yeah, it was fun. I'll definitely stay in touch. But I'll let you go. You stay safe. Keep staying safe out there. You have a good rest of your night, all right? All right, Byron. Take care. Hey, it was a pleasure to join you, and uh, maybe we can do it again someday. Definitely. I'll, definitely. We can. No problem. I'll be in touch. You have a good night, all right? All right. Thank right. you. Thank you. Too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that concludes episode number 60 of Coffee Time. Damn, I can't believe I've done 60 episodes already. Feels like I've done 50, if not too long ago. Well, this concludes this episode with Howard Richards, former offensive tackle for the Dallas Cowboys. Great conversation with him. Uh, Stay tuned. I don't know who I'm having on Friday. I think it's another baseball player, so I don't know. We'll see. You all have a good night. Stay safe.